Welcome to the Courageous Entrepreneur Show. This is the show that shares information and inspiration to help you break free from self-doubt, limiting beliefs, and disempowering patterns, and break through to create the thriving, successful business you dream of and deserve. I'm your host, Winnie Anderson. This show features interviews with entrepreneurs who've overcome amazing challenges to create success on their terms and experts who share insight and practical information that can help you get past your blocks and move forward with courage, confidence, and clarity. The show is available in both video and audio formats on a variety of platforms, including iTunes, iHeartRadio, in the Google Play Store, on YouTube, and on my website at winnieanderson.com. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll share the show with others in your community, and I hope you'll decide to become a member of my community. You can do that by becoming a fan of the show on my site at winnieanderson.com fans. When you do, you'll get episodes delivered right to your inbox, along with information, tips, and resources to help you move forward with courage, confidence, and clarity. You'll discover how to position and pre-sell yourself as the unique solution provider you are and ultimately to profit from your expertise. You'll be able to build a business in alignment with your faith, beliefs, and values. As we grow, form our self-identity, and dream of a future full of work we love that uses our great gifts and strengths, most of us come face-to-face with ways that society, including our peers, institutions, and groups, including our family of origin, tell us that we can't, we shouldn't, or aren't able to have those dreams because of who or what we are. That's especially true for girls and young women. Changes are being made, of course, but restrictions still exist. And sometimes our own thoughts and beliefs feed into those restrictions. Often we spend the first portion of our lives living up to others' expectations, and then something happens that often happens to us to help us break free and decide to create a life that's consistent with our own beliefs and expectations. Today's guest is a great example of all of that. Jody Harrison Lee is a martial arts master, co-owner of the martial arts studio The Martial Way in L.A. County in California. She's also a best-selling author, a speaker, and a trainer whose core mission is helping girls and women find and embrace their strength, exude the confidence they have deep inside, and be able to defend themselves in any situation they're in. So listen in as Jody and I discuss how young girls lose their confidence and how they can regain it, how we often allow the opinions of others and beliefs of society to pigeonhole us and keep us trapped in a place we weren't meant to be, Just how sports and athletics lead to increased confidence and courage for children and adults. How easy it is to allow societal structures to keep us playing small. And tips for finding and embracing your own inner strength. As always, listen all all the way to the end where I'll share your reflection exercise and action step for this episode. All right, Jody, I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for making time for me. Yes, I'm super excited to be here too. So let's just dive right in here. I'm sure this shocks you. You're the only woman I know who is a master <laughs> martial artist. And that alone is is fascinating to me. But then to also the fact that you've run really a successful family business for 25 years, right? Your husband and, and you own 
the, the Marshall Way, which is your physical studio, right, in, in California? Right. Yeah, right. in L.A. County. Yeah, so that that's a whole nother conversation in and of itself. And I really do want to have you back to, to talk specifically about working with your husband and building that kind of family business. But let's start out with how you got involved in martial arts in the first place. Can you take us in the Wayback Machine to talk about that? Sure. Well, I was an athlete as a kid. I mean, that was my identity. I would, you know, if you had asked me, to describe myself, that would have been the first word that I would say, and that was my element. Uh, so all growing up, uh, I was playing sports. And then once I got to college, though, I didn't continue in any particular sport. So I had six years because I got my BA and then I did two more years in teaching to get my teaching credential. And all that time, I didn't have a sport. And I remember feeling once I went to grad, uh, graduate school that just something was missing in my life. And I had gotten a flyer in the mail that, you know, was martial arts. And I thought, wow, that would be cool. And so I went to check it out and just immediately, I happened to be watching a black belt class. There was one woman in it. And I just thought, that's really cool. I'm going to do that. And, you know, I needed an, something athletic with a goal in my life. And so that was it. And so since then, and I was 24, 23 or 24 at that time. And I, yeah, I never looked back. I, I've trained like almost daily, really for all this time, you know, maybe four to five uh, days a week, but at first, you know, five days a week. Yeah. Well, that's really fascinating. So that flyer in the mail I know. Life. <laughs> yeah. That is, right. that is really amazing. So what in particular about it really resonated with you that it then became a, this lifelong journey and now you're technically a professional athlete, really, right? To, to a degree. I mean, this is your whole life. What, what about it? Can you, can you, you know, can you talk about that? What made you, what let that spark? Well, I know that I always, it was my goal to be strong. I was always competitive. I always wanted to be, you know, compete with the boys as a kid. That was just, you know, how I was. I wanted to be strong. If somebody said, you know, I don't know, challenged me, uh, that would just be something that, you know, I would want to do. And I knew I was missing something. I played basketball, baseball, and tennis all four years in in college. So I was, I mean, in high school. So I was a three sport uh, person. And, and so just to have that be your identity and then have nothing. And so when I went in and I saw these people doing something that was so strong and that had goals, that was important to me. Okay. And, you know, it was a progression. So I could see longevity in it. Like, oh, I have this thing that I can attain, you know, the black belt. And I mean, that was perfect for me because you know, then I could continue doing my, you know, my schooling and my career, but I would have this, this thing that would keep me, you know, in my essence. And so it was, it was immediate. Like okay. they didn't even have to talk me into it. How much <laughs> do you want? You know, and I was right. just there. Okay. Yeah. So 
When you were a kid, any thoughts of, did you have any desire to be a professional athlete? I know at the time, I don't think there were any professional leagues for women, were there? Well, that's the thing. I mean, I was born just slightly too soon Um, because I did. I wanted to be a professional athlete. I loved, but the thing was my favorite sports were football and baseball. I mean, as a kid, I just, you know, we played baseball with neighbors and my dad, I was an only child and I was essentially my dad's little boy, you know, Um, and we would be at parks every weekend throwing the football or playing baseball. And I played in, you know, leagues as a kid, not in football. There was no leagues even, you know, as a kid, but in school we played flag football and, you know, I was always right up there you know, with everybody else. And I thought that was so much fun. And I think I liked the team sports, you know, those two. And I played baseball until sixth grade. And then I remember my mom saying, you know, now you're going to switch to the softball league. And I was so upset, you know, and I was already only one of two girls in the baseball league up until then. Um, Now it's not so much like that, but see, even now, I mean, you know, the, the professional sports for girls are tennis. I could have done tennis. I did play tennis, but I wasn't as passionate about that. It wasn't so much of a team sport. I, I love doubles, but, but still. Um, and I do remember um, once I got to middle school and having that realization that that wasn't going to be my path, you know, it was, you know, it was hard. It, I, I I realized that that's not what I could be. And I think it did affect me uh, more than I realized at that time, even though I stuck with sports. So at that point, was it something that someone else told you, look, you need to get over that because women aren't professional athletes other than in tennis? Or was it a, a realization that you had because of what you saw in society and a fact of life that there, there wasn't a professional baseball league for women? Yeah, it was just, okay. I had amazing parents. I mean, my parents were my coaches, even my mom. So my parents were divorced when I was really young, but my dad, when I was with him, he was just playing sports with me. And uh, so he taught me how to play everything. And then my mom, when she got remarried, my stepdad, he was my baseball coach and he had two boys and I was on their team. So we were just, you know, I was, I was on his son's team. And then once I became older, I was on his daughter's team as in softball. And so he was coaching us and they were always involved pushing us. And, um, but so that was just what you did. Well, now, you know, you're a girl, so now you play softball. Nobody said, oh, you can't do that. Okay. I just kind of went along with what the protocol was. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting, too, because that, yeah. that's just what people do at this point is they then make this switch, and then I'm just going to go ahead, and I'm going to do I won't like it, but I'm going to go ahead and, and do it, too. Right. And so, it is interesting how it affects, I mean, later I can look back and see how uh, other chain reaction things happened that really affected me in terms of confidence and so forth. Can you talk about that? What, what would you say are some of them? Well, that along with uh, 
in middle school and I switched schools because my mom got remarried. So I ended up at a new school in middle school, which is already like the most frightening time of your life. It is. <laughs> it is. And I remember, and I was, I was still such a tomboy and I was a late bloomer. And I remember just skipping around the campus in my jeans and my t-shirt. And I remember some girls making fun of me and it was totally innocent. But up until then I was just a super carefree, still in my element, still, super confident. And I remember that moment just realizing, I think that was my first realization that there was judgment, that you're judged for how you act and who you are, because nobody judged me before. My parents, even like I used to play like baseball on the street with no shirt on when I was, you know, nine, because I, that was what I did. But then And nobody judged me. My parents were totally just let me be who I was. And then all of a sudden, it was, wow, so you're supposed to act a certain way. You know, and then, of course, puberty hits. And then you've got to, like, okay, I'm a girl, and this is what girls do. And or But then you're still trying to be yourself. I was still an athlete and considered a jock. But, you know, sort of navigating how you're supposed to act. But I think those two things happened at the same time. The realization that I couldn't truly do what I wanted to do and I was made fun of. And my only friend that I had up until that point sided with them because, see, you know, there's pressure at that time. There is. And those were cool girls. And so she was right. kind of cool, too. And and so then I remember we didn't talk to each other for a little while. And I was sort of outcasted for a little while until, of course, people found out that I could play sports and then everything was OK. But, you know, and that shouldn't be, you know, that shouldn't it shouldn't shouldn't be. But anyway, that's sort of how it happened. But I never truly got quite over it because in high school, I was always really insecure. Nobody maybe noticed, but going places, I would feel others. You you broke up the internet connection, went unstable for a second. So you were talking about in high school, you would feel Yeah, insecure. So if I went to, I wouldn't want to even go to social events, but if I did, I would be uncomfortable. And it did lead to, you know, unwise choices, let's say, you know. In trying to fit in? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I ended up, you know, drinking and, and, and so forth to to try to fit in. I don't think it was like, oh, to try to be cool. It was really just so that I'd feel comfortable talking to somebody. You know, I do remember that connection, realizing that that would, you know, help. Yeah. 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 That's it. That's, it's a shame, but it's something that I think so many of us can relate to that. There's this one moment that just stands out that is so hurtful Mm -hmm. that then has this ripple effect moving forward. It was so innocent. It's not like I was bullied and stuff. It was so innocent. Right. Right. And I get that. And I know them now, you know, Okay. so yeah. So you were also a special education teacher, right? You were a teacher for 11 years? Yes, that's what I went to school for, was to be a right. teacher. Right. And so I did. I taught special education fifth and sixth grade for. And so what made you decide to leave that profession and be involved in the studio full time? Is that what happened, that you were working as a teacher and you had this studio? Yes, about the same time I started teaching, uh, I got married soon after that, and my husband, a studio, a small studio, essentially landed in his lap to take over. Okay. So, and for 
you know, 10 years, I was, I had a full-time job, which teaching is crazy because then you got to go home and you got to plan. Right. But then I would go to the studio after work and then I would help run the studio. And then two years later we had, you know, a child and then another one. So for 10 years, it was pretty crazy. It, and it got, you know, it gradually progressed because at first your life's kind of simple and then it gradually gets more complicated. Right. So it got to the point where we had conversations could we make it work? If I quit, could we make it work with just the studio financially? Because I had what my dad would have said, the perfect job, a government job, you have benefits, you have retirement. So, and I had been taught that, that that's what you do. So for me to quit that, to be just a business and not just, but you know, that's an unsafe route. Right. Uh, And I was a play it safe kind of girl. So that was a pretty brave thing that we did um, to do that because I had to give all of that up. And the clincher though, for me was it started not being so fun anymore. Um, Working with the kids was great, but we started losing our help, losing um, funding. So I didn't have as much help. Okay. And then I felt like like I was more of a counselor working with the yeah. kids. Yep. Uh, I didn't really feel like I was a very good teacher, to be honest with you, because I had to spend so much time on their emotional well-being yes. that I felt like I'm not even teaching them anything. I felt bad, but then I felt good because I was helping their, their little psyches, which was so much more important. I realized even then that that was so much more important. Yeah than what they were learning. And then I think I realized that I could do more good at the martial arts studio because we're all about building confidence. I mean, that's the goal of the studio is to build confidence. So, yeah. So I think once I kind of put that together, I thought, yeah, let's like, we can do it. Okay. All right. That's yeah. That's an incredibly brave decision to make. And I'm, you know, I'm so impressed that you were able to do that. It's hard to give up that comfort and security of the now and, and that comfort and security that you know is waiting for you at the end with the pension and the benefits and, and all of that. So yeah, yeah, that's a lot to give up. And, and I didn't know really how to run a business. We're just making it up as we went along. (laughs) Well, you must have made it up pretty well the last 25 years at this point. (laughs) We're still standing. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So I know someone, one person, who is a black belt. She uh, worked at a company that had uh, that started to offer fitness courses, and they, their CEO started to take martial arts training and decided that this is wonderful. I'm going to offer it for free for all of the employees. So she started to take it. She came to it late in life as well. And eventually worked up to be a black belt, but she's not a master. And and as far as I know, she's never pursued being an instructor. So can you talk about how did you decide to to pursue that? You talked about the goals and you have the different level of belts and that sort of thing. But what then made you decide, I'm going to teach this and I'm going to pursue this master level of uh, this level of mastery? 
Well, it was sort of a natural progression, really, in terms of continuing after Black Belt, not necessarily to master level, but the continuation because it was my life and my husband was a grandmaster. Well, he was a master at the time. Okay. And so, of course, I would continue training. And I got my second degree and I got my third degree. And then I stayed there for a long time. And then, um, for, I, first of all, master level is kind of, I don't even know exactly what level is necessarily conti- you know, considered master, at least not here in America. We don't really have like hard set rules. But in Korea, from what I gather, just from the people that I've met over the years and me looking into it, it seems like fourth or fifth Don, Don means grade. Uh, degree is master level because after fourth degree if you continue on after that really it's because you're teaching okay and it's more like getting a master's degree a PhD you have to to me it's not so much about your skill now improving because remember you're also getting older it's about yes you're continuing to train but what have you done for the sport what have you done for Um, the betterment of Taekwondo for your community. And this is just me, how I seem to be um, putting it together. This is what it looks like to me that it's supposed to be. Okay. So once I got fourth degree, I did wonder, you know, is that master? Would I be a master? But then my husband was a master and that would be very confusing for two master leads in the studio. So I never really pushed like, well, what, what do I need to do to be a master? right? Because it was just the way it was, you know, he's, he's the head guy, right? And he's been doing this since he was, you know, five years old. He's lived and breathed Taekwondo and Hapkido his whole life. And he's the real deal when you think of the Asian master. So that's a hard compete right there, right? Okay. And so I just, um, the interesting thing is without realizing it, I just played that dutiful role of standing just behind the man and I hate to say it that way but but I did and he didn't force that he's he's completely supportive of any endeavor that I embark upon um but but I realized one day that I did that you know I'm just playing that role and so but also at the same time I didn't want to be called master unless I felt like I deserved that title. That's interesting. And, and although I had been running a studio for 20 years and I had put my mark on it, I had had all those years teaching. I stuck, you know, things into the curriculum that I had brought in because of my teaching. Like we have character words that kids have to do essays on and I do mat chats. I talk about, well, you know, think character building things all the time. I have little assignments that they do. So I had, you know, interjected my piece. Um, And certainly I was a part of the whole package. Everybody knew that. Nobody would have said you don't deserve it. But still, I felt like I needed to do something. And so around that time, I was about 46. Somebody had come to me and said, you know, you should should, uh, teach self-defense for girls specifically before they go off to college. So I marinated on that for a while, and I developed a program that was that, 
and and it and it was and it's good it was something that i feel proud of and then around that time i don't remember the exact the exact progression but then i tested for my fifth dime and i felt like okay you know i deserve it and and so then my husband sort of announced that i was now master lee and of course that means he has to be grandmaster which symbolizes age. So I think that was more of, of it as he didn't want to be a grandmaster because that means he's getting older, but I'm like, honey, you gotta do it. <laughs> Own it. So, yeah. And so, and now I feel, you know, deserving of it. And I did it more to be a role model. I realized that because the degrees don't matter, the number of stripes on your belt don't matter. It just doesn't. But it's sort of that paradox that, It matters, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because you have to demonstrate your, you have to demonstrate your level, right? You can't demand respect. I can't say I'm a master and I'm a fifth done and you need to respect me. Right. You have to deserve it. You have to show it. Um, But at the same time, it's important because I want other girls and young women to see that it's attainable. So that's how. You know, that's how it kind of uh, happened for me. And so I think it's important. I I think it's important. There's a lot of life lessons, I think, in general in there and so much that we can all relate to letting society dictate to us what our our role should be. And and then the, the thing that fascinates me so much is this issue of already being a master but not having the crown. And and wanting, still wanting to feel that you deserved it, even though you know you deserve. I think we all wrestle with that in yeah. whatever profession or sport that that we're pursuing. And yeah, I think it's it's fascinating in general how society impacts us and and impacts our own perception of our ability, our strengths, and the level of skill that that we have. Uh, And it reminds me a lot of my journey in diving. I'm actually a certified rescue diver. And I, when I first started diving, it had been a dream my whole life Mm -hmm. to, to dive. And my intention, same thing. I liked the levels that you could find a specialty if you wanted. And that ultimately I could see myself moving to instructor. And I was actually apprenticed to a dive master at the time I was in my car accident. So that kind of derailed me. But um, same thing, very few women involved in the sport. It's rare that you see a woman on a dive boat in a position of authority. There might be a couple of female divers in general, but to have a a dive master or an instructor be a, a woman, it's still a little unusual. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important for those of us who can, you know, to do that now and at, to set an example, to be a role model for that. And I didn't even, like I said, I didn't even realize that I was uh, consciously so much holding myself back in that way. So I'm glad I figured yeah, that out. Yeah, because I think that, again, you're, you're right. I think that, you know, my husband and I joke about this when we see somebody with a cool job and we go, why didn't I know that job was an opportunity, right? Why didn't I know Panda Hugger was a, a, <laughs> yeah. a job career, right, that I could have gone for? 
maybe I would have done that. Um, so I do think that there's this importance of showing girls and young women that the opportunities really are out there. And yes, you might have to be the, the founder, the, the pathfinder of that route, but by showing what's possible, it plants the seed of, yes, I can do that. Right. So, yeah, and I do. I think it's important. The irony is that, you know, essentially I became a professional athlete without realizing it. And that just yeah. tickles me because, yeah. Uh, yeah, some fate there is involved. That's so funny. Yeah, yeah, you were. Yeah, I was thinking about that myself this morning as I was getting dressed. I, and I remembered, you know, our other conversations and you talked about that. And I thought, you know, she is a professional athlete, mm -hmm. maybe not in the traditional sense right. of, of, right. a, of a, a professional athlete, but you certainly are in, in every way. So really that dream ended up coming true. It just took yeah. you a different route than maybe you would have, have thought that that's the way you were going to ultimately become a professional athlete. Right. Yeah. yeah so that's kind of cool. Yeah. It, it, very, very cool. I think. So we've talked a, a, a little bit about um, martial arts in general. What do you think about martial arts as a sport? What do you think makes it a good choice for girls and women? Yeah, I think it's an excellent choice. Uh, I think it's a great choice. Actually, I thought about this recently for all kids, um, but especially for girls because women or girls are taught, not overtly necessarily, but they're not as strong as men, as boys, right? right. Um, it's just infused into society, right? You're not as strong. And so when you take martial arts, you're kicking and you're punching and you start to feel that strength that's inside. And I talk about it all the time in our studio. So, you know, a good martial arts studio will make sure that that connection is made too. And so then you start realizing the power that you have inside and your strength and that you can kick and you can punch and you can defend yourself. And so that is super important. Uh, also, we key up, which is the yell. And in doing that, I think it helps you find your voice, uh, which is important because I used to have a hard time with confrontation. I would avoid it at all costs. I wouldn't even approach somebody if I thought it was going to be a difficult conversation. And I don't have that problem anymore. And I, you know, yelling over and over again is very, you know, is very powerful and it can help you do that. And plus, what if you get accosted, right, or assaulted, you you'll be already accustomed to, to yelling. And so that's really important. And I think um, just in general, also going through the goals that it takes you through, and you're going to have some failures, and sometimes it's going to be hard. And when we spar, people are kicking you, and you're going to have to deal with uncomfortableness. And um, But eventually, if you keep doing it and you get to black belt, you realize that going through all of these steps, you're going to ultimately get there. And so, you know, that's that life lesson. And I think it's important for everybody, but, you know, for girls especially, and especially in, right now with the way times are, right. to teach them that, you know, you are strong. You're just as strong. And that's so important. 
Um, so yeah, I wish more, more kids and, and not even just kids, but women, young women and, and, and full grown women. I wish they would realize that that was a viable thing because it, even women sometimes do not uh, stick up for themselves as much and say no when they need to. And um, yeah. 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 I think that's a really interesting point. Um, I know I used to work with a workout with a, pro- a former professional boxer and you know, there was that whole thing. I don't like boxing in general as a sport. Um, but because of the, the constant blows to the head, but mm-hmm. from a training perspective, I love yeah. it. Um, and when I would leave a session with him, I felt like I could take on the universe. Yeah. I, the confidence that I had in not just being able to defend myself, but just like in, in martial arts, the posture right? That you, you you do. That's exactly it. And that's a great way to put it. You start literally standing taller. And when you start standing taller, you almost command attention. Respect. Yeah. And And respect. That's exactly right. Because, you know, if you look at people who are hunched over and that, but when you are fully owning your, who you are in your presence, I think that, yeah, you just can't help but command respect from other people. And then you're able to speak with more authority and more confidence. Again, back to that word. So, yeah. And I didn't realize, which, you know, kind of a duh type of moment, but I didn't even think about that it really is something that is not just for kids, that people can come to it late in life. So can you talk a little bit about that? How does it work when you're, when you're grown up and you decide that, you know what, I need something, this might be something for me to pursue. You're not in a room full of kids, are you? No, I mean, I guess it depends on the studio. Okay. But we have a sep. our, our teens and adults are separate and at we teach Taekwondo to kids and we teach Taekwondo and Hapkido to adults and Hapkido is more of a self-defense type of martial art, but everything can be modified. So when you're training, I think, yeah, you think that you have to be able to do super fancy things or kick super high or, but no, you know, you kick at the level that you can kick at. And most of it is really just kicking and punching. And we do do some things like rolling and you learn how to fall, but uh, everything can be modified. When we get to doing like things that are gymnastic type stuff or fancy kicks, you know, adults aren't expected to have to do any of that. And so, yeah, it's all modified and you, you do, you feel strong. And we do, when we get adults that come in, it is it is fun when I can see them take that brave step because it's always, I get adults all the time. I'd love to do that. And I'm like, you should, you should try, but they're too scared. And I've worked with some women one-on-one and then I'll hold pads for them. And they, when they start punching and kicking them, it's so fun to watch their face light up and realize the power that they have. And sometimes it scares them. Mm-hmm. because they didn't they hadn't unleashed it before and you can see the uncomfortableness and so then you kind of got to back up a little bit and 
And, but it's great, you know, and some are like, that was so fun. You know, it was so much fun. Yeah. There's nothing better than kicking and punching some pads. I mean, Yeah. Yeah. You know, for me, it was part of, of fitness has always been uh, a stress reliever. I started really getting serious about fitness in junior high. Mm -hmm. And I like you, I felt awkward. I, so I didn't want to be out on the playground with the clique kids, you know, because I was not really in, I didn't fit in a group. I was a musician. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I, I went to a teacher and I said, will you teach me how to lift weights? I'd rather work out in the weight room. And so he said, you had, I had to find other girls. He couldn't just be me. And so mm. I got, I talked enough other people into it that he was able to do this a few times a week. And that cool. was really what started me on my path to fitness. And when, I, I don't even remember now how I got involved with boxing, but somehow I did. I think it was a, an aerobics class that was like boxing aerobics. And, and it was taught by this guy's professional boxer. And yeah, when there's just, you're not used to actually striking somebody as a woman a girl you're just not you're not used to that and I think if you look at the whole self-defense kind of thing and standing up for yourself that's probably a boundary that women do need to get past yeah god forbid you should ever need it it's the one skill that you learn that you hope you never have to actually use but it's the breaking of that boundary and realizing that if someone comes after you, you can strike back and there's nothing wrong with that. You can stand up for yourself. It, right. Yeah. And once, someone exactly. and once you feel that and you stand taller, you become less of a target. And one of the main things is that we don't want to be a target. So what do you need to do to not, be an easy target because most perpetrators are looking for an easy target. And so there are very simple things that we can do, but, but sometimes it has to come from inside. Cause I can't say, go be confident, you know, right. I wish out. it was that easy. Yeah. Right. yeah. 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 I think that's a great point too. And, and I think even if you, if you think about this, not, you know, not from a, a street kind of perspective or, I mean, you can be attacked anywhere, but when you think about, We've all worked someplace, right? And and we've we can all recognize confidence and and we respect people who respect themselves and who radiate yeah, that yes. level of, of confidence as well. And again, it does come back to posture and how you present yourself and how you control yourself in, in any interaction. So I think any any sport, any activity that can help you develop that outward radiation of your inner confidence and build your inner confidence at the same time, I think is really fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I know that um, you have started doing more speaking. You're, you're going to be doing more speaking as well, tied around your book and around self-defense. So let's talk a little bit about that. And what is it that you really want to help girls and women understand about protecting themselves, defending themselves? Are there core concepts yeah. that you think people need to get, uh, get across? Absolutely. I think, well, the key is really 
I mean, the secret, even in, because I wrote a book and, and I allude to a secret, and I really do think it's building a true confidence, a true, like not confidence in the sense of um, most, mostly we think of confidence as being situation specific, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, a confident speaker or a confident at playing a sport or whatever your thing is, being mm-hmm. confident at it. And sometimes the loud kids, you assume that they're confident. Right. But that's not necessarily true. And confidence is when you have that inner sense that you're going to be okay, no matter what life throws at you, even when you don't feel confident. So that's right. And so my my wish would be for everybody to feel that for all girls to feel that feeling, because when you. And so that would start by owning their uniqueness. I wish every girl could own their uniqueness. I wish they could own the knowledge that they have, that they know that they're smart. They know that they're worthy. Uh, They know that they're physically strong and ultimately that they can love themselves again because we always, we start out confident and then we lose it. And so if, if we can get back to that, because people who love themselves don't put themselves in compromising positions. They don't put themselves in dangerous situations. So yeah. that's yeah. My, my, my wish. And so in the, the program I developed encompasses those ideas, and then I have seven keys that take them through building three types of strengths. So mental strength, physical strength, and emotional strength. And I do feel like if we can develop that package, that it's going to help us, you know, get that confidence back. That is so important. Yeah, excellent. Really well said. So how about let's talk about where people can go to learn more about you, to connect with you, and to get your book, right? You have the Kindle version of your book that's available, and I know the paperback version is going to be due, uh, due out very soon, but where can people go to learn more about what you do and, and, uh, and to connect with you in general? Yes. So, yes, the Kindle version of my original book is out on Amazon. It's called Find Your Strength, the essential handbook for every college-bound girl. And the subtitle is The Secret to Being Safe, Strong, and Able to Defend Yourself. But uh, I wrote that two years ago, and so now I've added stories, I've added content and and, uh, spot illustrations, and so it's coming out in its physical form, hopefully within the next month. And so that will be available too. Um, I have a website, findyourstrength.com, that we're working on. So you can they can get a hold of me there. The MarshallWayKicks.com is our studio site. Okay. And you can find me on Facebook right now. It's just, you know, Facebook. I do a lot of posting on stuff like this. I use it more for, for that than really personal. And, yeah. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Of course, we'll have links to everything uh, in the show notes for the episodes. You'll be able to track uh, Jody down on Amazon, get both versions of her book at when they're ready, and you can also connect with her on Facebook. So thanks very much for being here. It was a great, great uh, opportunity to talk to you today. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Winnie. 
All right, I hope you found that interesting and helpful. Jody is just an incredible person on so many levels. If you like this episode, please share it with your connections. Please leave a great review for it on the platform where you consumed it. That really does help it raise in the the rankings on that particular platform and helps people find it. Be sure to subscribe either on that specific platform that you consume the show at, like iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play, or you can subscribe to the video version on my YouTube channel. When you subscribe at my website, though, at winnieanderson.com fans, you'll receive episodes emailed to you each week along with information, tips, and resources to help you come out of hiding and position and pre-sell yourself as the trusted advisor that you are so you can profit from your expertise. All right, so your cocktail exercise, otherwise known as a reflection exercise. No alcohol needs to be involved. Don't drink and drive. Don't overindulge. All right, so you want to ask yourself, what are you telling yourself that you cannot do? What beliefs of society or of those people in your life do you buy into and allow to dictate and control your life? Maybe somebody told you that you weren't creative, so you've suppressed your dream of writing or acting or performing. Maybe you're caught up in a relationship where you feel traditional roles are constricting you somehow. What fears and doubts do you feed into and fuel with negative self-talk? Okay, your action step. You know, Jody came to realize that she actually had fulfilled her dream of being a professional athlete. It might not be in the traditional sense of playing on a professional team, but she's still an athlete nonetheless. Can you identify the ways that you hold yourself back? You know, it's not so much society or others that hold us back. It's that we allow that to happen. So what are you doing or not doing that's keeping you from achieving your goal? What opportunities are actually in your life right now that you could take action on to move forward towards achieving your dreams? What action could you take right now in just a few minutes? that could help you get started to achieve your dream. Do you want to write a book? Okay, set the timer for 15 minutes and write an overview of what that book would be about and the problem that it would solve. Don't edit. Don't scratch things out. You can type if you want to, but don't correct yourself. Don't self-edit. Do you dream of making a difference to a specific type of audience segment? Okay, set the timer, 15 minutes, and brainstorm all the different ways you could do that. Again, don't let yourself edit. A brainstorming exercise is just that. You just write down all the ideas you have, and you don't judge yourself as the ideas, you know, get out of your head. You don't edit yourself. You don't make any kind of corrections until after it's over. I think the other action step that we can all take is to develop a conversation process with the divine. Ask powerful questions and make powerful requests. There's there's nothing wrong with that. You know, the, the divine God is tough enough that he can take it. So ask yourself things, you know, ask you the divine things like, what's the next best step for me to take to reach my goal of Fill in the blank, whatever that goal happens to be. 
And then I want you to open your heart and your eyes to the signs that are being sent your way. You know, Pastor Joel Osteen says that the reason we don't hear God's message and direction for us is because we listen with our ears, but God talks to our hearts. So what are you, you know, what have you been ignoring or what have you been pushing aside when it's really a sign, a message to you to help you take that next step? And if you would like to get help on your journey of becoming a or being a courageous entrepreneur, then maybe you'd like to get some help to stay focused on completing your big projects and and bravely coming out of hiding, taking your business and you to the next level of success, then consider joining the Courageous Entrepreneur Club. The club is made of small groups of no more than 10 people in each group who are solo professionals and entrepreneurs who receive coaching, accountability, and support from me and also from each other as they move forward to achieve their goals that they otherwise would lose focus on. Group enrollment happens at specific times during the month. And if you want to learn more, go to winnieanderson.com slash join the club. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Courageous Entrepreneur Show. Remember, you deserve all the success you dream of.